This morning, we're going to be looking at the third commandment or the third word. If you looked at it in Hebrew, it would be the third word, okay? Uh, so the title, if you, this message had any kind of title, it would be the untarnished name or do not take the name of the Lord in vain. So growing up in a Hispanic church most of my life, I heard many things that at first hearing them, if I interpreted them to you in English, it would either be confusing or borderline offensive. <laughs> I remember many times uh, hearing ladies in our church pray, and they would use this term, Diosito, okay, Diosito. So Dios, D-I-O-S, Dios in Spanish means God. And if you add ito to anything, it's like, it's like a slang, like nickname, it means little, okay? So many times the people in the church, because of my dad's name was Ricardo, and I wasn't a junior, okay? They called me Ricardito, okay? That means I'm a little Ricardo, okay? Um, which isn't true anymore. My dad has since passed, but my dad was like five foot, you know? Um, but they called me Ricardito, okay? Because I was the little version of Ricardo, okay? So you catch my drift? I remember as I got older, overhearing a conversation between my mom and my dad, that it irked both of me, it frustrated them that the name of God was used this way, Diosito, when they would pray. It was just, just kind of humbling that they, they would have, but they didn't understand really what they were saying. Thankfully, after some time, the term was no longer used. The longer my dad preached how we should approach the name of God. So we've taken time to look at what are the 10 words. We looked at the first one being no other gods before me, and the second one, nothing made in my image, or don't create for yourself anything that you think I look like, okay? So now we look at the third word in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. All 10 words, look at me for just a sec, all 10 words are direct imperatives. This is what you should do. In light of the indicative, this is what's been done. Matt just read it for us. I am the Lord your God who delivered you out of the house of Israel, out of slavery. Now shape your life this way according to what I'm telling you to do, okay? God says in verse 2, I am Yahweh or the Lord who covers you with His name. This was instructional for the people of God, okay? And, and, and pay attention to this for just a second. Anytime you come to Redeemer, we want it to be instructional for you, okay? Even if the ladies get together and they're doing crafts or drinking coffee together, we want even that time to be instructional. We want it to be discipleship, okay? Anytime we gather together. And if you think about the whole of, of the Torah or the books of Moses, they were all instructional, instructional or informational for the people of Israel about who is God and what is He doing. So think about your name for a minute. Maybe it was popular when your parents named you. Okay, Ricardo was not popular when they named me. Maybe you're named after a parent or a respected relative. In our, in our day and age, there is some weight to a name. When you get a phone call or a knock on the door, 
you want to know who it is by them giving you what? A name or who they represent, correct? Okay. So the third word carries massive implications in how we either profane the name of God or we honor it by how we use and represent it. I'm going I'm to read that one more time. The third word, you shall not take my, the name of the Lord in vain, carries massive implications in how we either profane the name of God or we honor it by how we use it. The question is, do we understand the weight of the name that we carry? So the question is, what's in a name? If you would turn back to Exodus chapter 3, we're going to spend a couple of minutes in Exodus chapter 3 looking at a story. We're going to be in verses 10 through 15, and it'll be up on the TV for you. When we look at the third word, you shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain, it's easy to write it off as, well, I just won't say a cuss word, or I won't tag it with Jesus or Jesus Christ, or even the Christian version of gosh, okay? Some people are like, you can't say gosh in my house because my parents will get upset because it's like you're taking the name of the Lord in vain, okay? But do we truly understand what it is to carry the name of God as His blood-bought people? So let's give this word context with a story from Exodus. Let, let me give you a quick rundown of what's happening in Exodus chapter 3. So Moses is a Hebrew who is given up by his mom. Remember, the, the Pharaoh is coming and killing uh, Hebrew kids, okay, because they don't, they don't want to overpopulate, okay? So his mom delivers him into the Nile River, okay? So Moses, take this as a note, as a side note, Moses, the, the very name Moses means delivered from the waters. That's what Moses means, okay? And then Moses, as he grows up in Pharaoh's house, he, he murders an Egyptian and flees Egypt, and he lands a job as a shepherd in Midian, okay? So as he's shepherding this flock, he sees a burning bush, okay? Some of you, if you grew up in church, you might have heard this story of the burning bush, this bush that was on fire that Moses saw that was not burning. It was not being consumed, but there was a fire around it, okay? And Moses has this conversation with God about his mission, okay? And we get, we get kind of this… Uh, we, we kind of get to be an audience of what's happening here, okay? Let's look at Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 10. It says this, come, the Lord is telling Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, being God, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of our fathers has sent me, sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be, to be remembered throughout all generation. This is my name 
forever. So I want to take a couple of, uh, I want to look at a couple of things here as we look at this text, as we see this story unfolding. Moses asks God, what is your name? How should we identify you? Okay? God replies with, I am who I am. So what does this mean? I've asked myself this question too. When I've read this story, I'm like, what did you, God, what did you mean by I am who I am? Why would God not say, my name's God, or something else? God replies, okay, I want us to take a step back here. God replies with something so jarring that we need to take a step back and look at the whole of the story. He does not say, I'm becoming who I'm becoming, or I was that I was. He replies with the ultimate statement of reality, I am who I am. Let me ask you this question. If I, if I ask you, especially for the adults in the room, are you who you were 10 years ago? Are you who you were 20 years ago? No, there's been some maturity that's happened. There's been some life that's happened. If I sat down and had a conversation with you, some of you might say, Ricky, there's been a lot of life that's happened, right? Does your name truly rep represent exactly who you are? If you looked up the meaning of your name, and I looked up the meaning of my name, and it means powerful ruler, okay? And if you knew my daughter, you would know I'm not a powerful ruler in my house, okay? Because <laughs> she gets her way a lot of times. When someone says your name, other than knowing who they might be speaking of, would it, would it fully represent your character. Does that make sense? If someone said your name, does that fully represent your character, who you are, all the attributes of who you are? So in this polytheistic culture of Egypt, remember there's a lot of, there's 80 plus gods and goddesses in Egypt. They needed many gods to represent each facet of what they needed from creation, okay? So they had sun god who was Ra, I believe, that was his name, the fertility goddess, or the Nile god. Remember, we talked about the Nile god a few weeks ago called Osiris, okay? The sun god could not say that he was the Nile god. Okay, I'm going somewhere with this. The sun god could not say he was the god of the sun. He had to say he was the god of the Nile in this false god worship. God, with one phrase, describes himself as absolute reality, okay? I want, I want you to get this. Everything that you see here, your family, your job, your hobbies, whatever it is, it is all a shadow compared to the substance of Jesus Christ. All of this is but a shadow, okay? If you think about the length of a, a normal human life, okay, my dad lived till he was 80 years old. That's kind of the normal length of life. Compared to an eternal God who has no beginning and no end. Can you even wrap your mind around that fact that there was always just God and there will always be just God? He is ultimate reality. For God to give his name as I am is for him to say, this is what I do. This is 
what represents my character. Herman Bavink, the great uh, Danish theologian said, God is that which he calls himself, and he calls himself that which he is. God is that which he calls himself, and he calls himself that which he is. So to know God is to know absolute reality. To know God's name is to know God's character, okay? If you're a note taker, write that down. To know God's name is to know God's character. This is foundational for the people of God. Look at, look at Exodus 20 verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord, L-O-R-D being capitalized, your God in vain. Depending on what version you have, it might say Yahweh. The name of Yahweh, your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So I want to break this down, just this one verse for just a few minutes. I want to break this down. This word or commandment again begins with, you shall not. So it begins with a negative imperative, okay? You didn't know you're going to come to the service this morning and get an English lesson, okay? But I want to give you an English lesson. I like English, okay? You are here, this is a very clear negative imperative. Do not do this. Don't do this or you will be held accountable for taking the name of the Lord in vain. So let's look at the word take. What does the word take mean in this verse? It means these three things. Do not speak, do not carry, or do not lift up, okay? Do not speak, do not carry, and do not lift up. Remember, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses was given a mission, and so have we. We have been given a mission. Look at me, church, for just a second. We have been given a mission to push back darkness in this city. My job as a pastor, I have two jobs as a pastor. I have a job of caring and feeding the sheep and fending off wolves, okay? Wolves are anyone that wants to come and cause harm to the church. Okay? So I am protecting the sheep at all times. Okay? Does that make sense? Those are my jobs. That's my mission. The mission of the church is to carry the good news of the gospel here in our city. Okay? Now, that was the word take. Let's look at the word name. The fact that God is who He says He is, He is absolute. There is no one above him. There is no one holier than God. Are you getting that? There is no one as absolute as God, okay? No matter what you think about yourself, you are not absolute like God is. So his name means something. This is just a, a small example I want to give you, okay? If you did some study of the Old Testament, when the scribes were actually pinning the Old Testament, when they were actually writing down the words of the prophets, here's what they would do, the scribes, okay? Anytime they were, wrote the name Yahweh, they would leave letters out of it because it was, there was so much reverence that came with the name Yahweh or the Lord, okay? And here's what else they would do. While they were pinning it down on this parchment paper in Hebrew, anytime they would come to the name Yahweh, 
they would take a ceremonial bath every time because they realized how unholy they were to even pin the name of God. That is a reverence unlike any other. Now, think about in our culture, is God's name revered the same way? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That's just a small example I wanted to give you. Now let's look at the word vain. What does the word vain mean in the third word or in the third commandment? It means don't misuse the name or character of God. Don't use it for your own profit. So take a deep breath because I'm going to say some hard things for just a sec, okay? And this is true about me too. I'm not leaving myself out of this. When you leave a church or you want to get out of something, what is usually the language that you use? Well, God told me. Now, moment of transparency, I have used that excuse several times. Or what about this one? Well, let me pray about it. And then you don't really pray. And you just let it fall by the wayside. And you forget to get back to that person. Guilty. Or how about this one? Yeah, I'll be praying for you. And you don't. That's hard. That's hard. That is misusing the very character and the name of God. That is using His name in vain. That's what this means. And the damning part of all of this is for those of us who do it, God will hold us accountable. God being a God of justice will hold humanity accountable for using His name in a way that it should not be used. So I want to remind you of this. I want to remind you that God's law is meant to be a mirror, not a measuring stick. Did you get that? Don't miss that, church. God's law is meant to be a mirror that we look at, not a measuring stick on how great I'm doing. Because here's what's true about the measuring stick theory, okay? That we all fall short of of, of the glory of God. Some of us are just busy comparing distances. Is that not true in the church of America today especially? That we don't approach the law of God and see it as a mirror and see, God, you are holy and, and there is no one like you. I am not like you. And I see my sinfulness when I approach the law of God. Because when I approach the law of God, I approach God himself, who is altogether lovely and holy and unlike me. And it should cause this this deep repentance in us that says, God, I don't want to be like that anymore. I want to be like your son, Jesus. That's who I want to be like. So we need to remember that the law is a mirror that we look into, not a measuring stick that we compare ourselves to. So, including myself as the pastor of Redeemer, 
We are all guilty so far. We bring other gods to the table. Number one, we make God in our own image, number two. And number three, we use God's name in vain. If I were to have all of you stand and I said, if we looked at it biblically and I said, okay, how many of you have broken the first commandment? Sit down. Guess what? We would all be sitting down. Because we have all worshiped other gods. So here's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus came and met the demands of the law in our place. Do you hear that, church? Do you hear what I'm saying? How, how incredible that is, that Jesus himself, who is God, came and met the demands of the law in our place that we could not keep. We could not keep the demands of the law, so Jesus comes in the flesh and he meets every demand of the law perfectly in our place. He lives perfectly in our place. So here's, if you wanted to encapsulate what we're talking about today, if you want to encapsulate it with the gospel, it would be this. Jesus carried or he took or he bore the name of God without ever carrying it in vain. If Jesus were to sit down and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you and he said, I'm praying for you, you could, you could bank on it that Jesus would be praying for you. You know why? because he sits at the right hand of the Father right now at this very moment, moment and intercedes for his people, the Bible tells us. That should be a comforting thought for his people that Jesus sits at the right hand of God and he prays for us day and night. He is interceding for us. Could you imagine for just a moment being in the other room as you heard Jesus pray for you by name? Could you imagine that? Could you imagine the tears welling up inside of you and the confidence that it would give you if you heard the Lord Jesus his, himself praying for you by name? Listen to the words of Paul. Look at Philippians in the New Testament. Philippians chapter 2. Listen, listen to the way Paul perfectly describes all of this. Philippians chapter 2 starting in verse 5. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 9, therefore... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the what? The what? The name. The name that is above every name. So that, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess what? That the name that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God 
the Father. The name above every name was given to Jesus Christ. He humbled himself, adding to himself uh, uh, humanity, to his divinity, coming and humbling himself and living the life you and I couldn't live, dying the death that we deserve to die in a substitutionary death on a cross, dying a very real physical horrible death on a cross, being buried, and after three days defeating death, and now ascended and holy and righteous, the right hand of God, with the name that is above every name. And here's what you need to know, church. Here's what you need to know, that one day when Jesus physically appears here on earth, He splits the eastern sky, and He comes to collect His church. You will either say his name lovingly and in obedience or begrudgingly, and you will curse his name because you will know on that day that he is who he says he is. There will only be two sides. There will only be two sides, one saying, you are the Lord, you are Christ Jesus, who you said you are, and I worship you as God, and the other side saying, you are who you said you are. So I want to end with this illustration. So if you can, imagine this with me in your head. Imagine that you are coming to the waters of baptism, and as you approach the line of people who are at the banks of the river ready to be baptized, someone comes to you, and they have a blank, they have a blank name tag for you that you need to put on. On each name tag, they begin to write out your sins, and it says, hello, my name is cheater, liar, fornicator, murderer, taker of God's name in vain. And on each name tag, they write one sin that you are guilty of, and begin to peel those name tags off and place them on your chest. After some time of that person writing out that what you are guilty of, you look down to see the front of your shirt covered in name tags. You hang your head in shame. No amount of water could ever wash these away. Through tear-filled eyes, you look and you see Jesus coming toward you. He stops in front of you and begins to look at all the name tags on, your, on the front of your shirt. And one by one, he begins to peel them off. And one by one, as he peels those name tags off, he places them on himself. He then walks into the waters of baptism. And there he's baptized just like the Bible says he was. He's baptized into those waters and his physical death and raised again in the newness of life and his resurrection. And as he comes out of those waters, he comes to you and he gives you a name tag and it says, righteous because of me. Righteous because of me. And he places it on your chest. And there you enter into the waters of baptism, being baptized into his death and raised to walk in the newness of life.
I want that to sink deep into our hearts this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, we don't have to go there, but it says, he who knew no sin, him who was perfect and sinless and matchless and holy became sin for us. So why? That we could become the righteousness of God. In that moment, Jesus came and took those name tags off of you and put them on Himself, becoming a substitute for you and being buried in those waters in baptism. Not because He needed to repent of any sin, but because He went and He died in your place and came up out of those waters, being resurrected in glory, defeating death in our place. So if you are not in Christ this morning, I want to tell you this, He will wash you clean and He will hide you in His name. If church, if we only knew what it was to be unified with Christ, if we only knew what it was to have unity with Him, union with Christ, that He will never cast us out no matter what you do. You cannot out the grace of God. You cannot do it. So if you are not in Christ this morning, you are guilty and you need to be made guiltless. And the only way to do that is by Christ and Christ alone. He is the only one who can make you guiltless. So I'm asking you today, if you're not in in Christ, put your faith in Him today. Come to Him. He will not refuse you. He will not look at the whole of your life. He will not look at the history of your life. He will not look at the hidden parts of your life and say, nope, you're too dirty. I can't do anything with that. He will wash you and make you new. He will put His Spirit inside of you. And if you are in Christ, And maybe some of us didn't take this commandment seriously. Maybe you have made empty promises and you tagged, you just tagged God's name onto the end of it. Maybe you misrepresented the name of God in many ways, even this morning. He knows and He is patient and He is kind. Let's put those deeds to death. Now that we know what it is to misrepresent or to carry the name of God in vain, let us put those deeds to death and continue on in the mission of Jesus Christ. So for both of us in this room, if you are not in Christ, you need to repent of sin. If you are in Christ, you still need to repent of sin. And repentance doesn't look like, well, God, I just, you know, I just, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. It's coming boldly before His throwing, throne, knowing that He will not turn you away and saying, I don't want to live that life anymore. I want to turn from my sin and look to the Lord Jesus, whether you are in Christ or you are not. Repent of your sin. Hate that sin and look to the Lord Jesus Christ who saves and will satisfy you with Himself. Amen? Church, I love you. I love you too much to not tell you the truth. I do. 
I love you too much to not tell your kids the truth. I will give my life, I've given my life to tell people the truth, that there is a real God who loves humanity and has given His Son in their place. Let's pray.